0: jump into the sun right now nothing is good nothing has ever been good and the notion of goodness was in a human invention like fantasy of all types nothing will ever be good and this
1: is why black sun is
0: the most realistic game ever <laughs> the created most realistic game. my name is will hindmarch i'm a writer narrative designer graphic designer and game
1: designer my name is nathan pleta i'm a game designer self-publisher and graphic artist
0: Last time we talked a lot about playtesting, Nathan.
1: What are we going to talk about this time? This time on the Design Games Podcast, we're going to talk about taking that information you gain from playtesting and processing it in a functional and productive way.
0: So we've done at least one, hopefully a couple of playtests, in our lives of this material. Not necessarily all at once, but you've got your first volley of playtest feedback, whether it's written down, whether it's your handwritten notes of what players were telling you after the game or during the game you've got all this data, what's the first thing that you do with it, Nathan?
1: These two things are gonna to apply to this whole conversation, and we've mentioned them before, but to recap because they're especially applicable here. One is watching what people do and not what they say, and the other is that people tell you problems, but they don't tell you solutions. Those are kind of the two high-level things that apply to pretty much all fields of creative endeavor.
0: There's a, there's a great process that I just learned about that is used for some writing camps, for some writing retreats and organizations, which separates what I historically think of as the two-pronged element of here's the problem and here's how to fix it into three that is really handy. Especially if when it gives everybody the tools to communicate what they're trying to say and what they are saying. Mm-hmm. There is the symptom, the diagnosis, and the prescription. Mm-hmm. So the symptom is here's what I experienced. My arm hurts when I play this game. Mm-hmm. Hurts my arm when I move it like this, doctor. The diagnosis is here's why that happened. The prescription is here's what we're going to change to fix it.
1: Mm.
0: And it's not so much that there isn't a fuzzy border between these three things sometimes, especially in art. It's that sometimes somebody's trying to just tell you the first one or just the second one or just the third one. Mm -hmm. But they feel like they have to talk about all three in order to get to the third one or in order for you to take them seriously or whatever. Well, that's not always necessarily what's going on.
1: (laughs) I mean, there, there's a couple different versions of that, right? One yeah. is the person who is just telling you what they thought and felt and they don't have the training or the experience or the, or the knowledge or insight to separate those out as part of the feedback process. Sure. And then the other is the person who does know which one they're doing and they're just doing the one that isn't helpful to you. <laughs> right. right, right. And you kind of deal with those in different ways, I think, as part of taking feedback. But to get back to your initial... Question: What I do with feedback usually? I have an immediate kind of sorting in, into types. A lot of my playtests are more along the model of: I'm going to introduce the game, I'm going to lay out that it's a playtest, and you know maybe here are the things that I think are still in flux. We're just going to play. We reserve the right to stop and address something if we need to. All that kind of expectation setting stuff up front. We play the game and absent any kind of game ending or huge game swerving event during play, we wrap up and then we do some post-game conversation. So I'm gathering feedback in two ways. I'm making notes during play and then I'm listening to what people are saying during the wrap up conversation. Right. This is the bulk of my play tests are along this model. Again, because of the scope of my games, the stage at which I like to bring them to play test, that kind of thing. During that process, There's two broad buckets that I find that I put feedback into. The first is, oh, yeah, that's a problem. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Right. Like, oh, yeah, like whether that's mechanical. Oh, this currency doesn't work. There isn't enough of it. This randomization is not getting me anywhere. Oh, I thought that wasn't going to work and it doesn't, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That bucket also includes, I guess, oh, this works the way I thought it would. But generally I'm noting that less because of things we've kind of talked about previously. And then the second bucket is, huh, I hadn't thought about that or, huh, where did that come from? And then I guess there's kind of an imaginary third bucket of like, I hear what you're saying, and it doesn't apply to my game, (laughs) which maybe is a separate issue. So those two buckets kind of have two two places in my mind. Uh, So so the one is, here's kind of a list of action items, like this didn't work, this did work, this needs to be highlighted, this needs to be fixed. And often the playtest itself is giving me an idea of where to go to fix them, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm observing, oh, that didn't work. And maybe at the end, it's like, So I'm thinking about doing this instead, what do you think? Often just as a discussion thing, but also Mm. people offer suggestions, and sometimes they're apt, and sometimes they're brilliant. And you go, oh, that's a great idea.
0: An example, just to make that tangible, that I've seen as a playtester and as a designer in a playtest is the one where you can watch somebody's pencil tip or finger or eyes on the character sheet, and you say, "What, what do you have in this rating? and they look, and you watch where they look first, and they may never bring it up, Hmm. but you realize that they think it's supposed to be over here with these other numbers, and you put it down here with these other numbers, and you might have a good reason to keep it where it is, but now you're aware of the fact that Almost everybody always goes to the top left part of the of the landscape sheet first. Everybody always goes to the top right part when mm. looking for that thing. That's an example where, to me, it is true that this is where everybody looks for looks for it first. Now, what to do with that is the second thing. Right, that's a quite separate element. Mm-hmm. But that's the kind of data that I look for in that bucket, in that first bucket, like you're saying, mm-hmm. is the that we get during play or we get that kind of mm-hmm. feedback is that sort of or even hi, and that we're highlighting or moving or mm-hmm. changing or not changing or whatever maybe be the solution yeah
1: and also stuff afterwards that's like you know these two characters had all this cool stuff they could do i felt like i w- didn't have anything cool yeah. that i could do in the same realm and then maybe that'll fall into my first bucket of like yeah these character archetypes aren't really like this one was new and i hadn't really considered all of it yet so you know yeah. Note, you know, make sure that this matches and scale, you know, these powers or whatever. Yeah. And then that second bucket is kind of the tell me what you thought about the game. Sometimes people do like roses and thorns, right? Like, mm-hmm. what's one thing that you liked, one thing that you didn't like, or that caused you trouble, or that tripped you up? Or just, you know, I told you guys that this part was still kind of under consideration, considering how we use it in play. What did you think? That's the more conversational part where may I make some notes? But a lot of that is just data for me to Mm -hmm. absorb and note things that jump out at me immediately and let it sit and stew for a little bit. I almost never have a brilliant flash of inspiration at the end of a playtest, go and rewrite everything, and I'm ready to do it again the next day. I almost always, even if I have multiple days, like if I'm at a convention and I'm doing playtests of the same game over multiple days, I usually playtest the same thing and take all of the information together. Right. Unless something like is obviously hilariously broken.
0: And I think that's one of the strongest opportunities for playtest is where you can run the thing two or three times because it helps me parse the two responses much more strongly. One is that I say, well, one of these is a the thing that I fix before I run it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And one of these is the thing that I fix after this weekend. Yeah.
1: After I've had a chance to sleep on it and yeah. do something else for a couple of days. And so, so, sometimes what play. I
0: literally do, too, is I have a page in my notebook for the notes that I make the next day. Mm. So I keep track and then without looking and checking however many pages of notes I took during the playtest and immediately after the playtest when I might do it like breakfast at the convention or something like that especially I do this especially at like origins and stuff is that I I, I make just two or four little line items that are what do I remember that I wanted to change what what surfaced Mm -hmm. that still sticks in my head and it's not that those it's not a vetting process it's just that I can compare then in a week. Those two pages and say, okay, so this thing that stuck with me was it just sticking with me? Was it just bugging me?
1: Sure, sure. Or yeah. was
0: it really important? And mm-hmm. also, what did I forget? What did I gloss over? Because sometimes that's the that's an example of something that absolutely needs to change, mm-hmm. but that I wasn't ready to change it.
1: Or what did I forget? Yeah, you know, what did we not play with? Because I forgot to bring it into <laughs> right. the session. Right. When you're running a playtest, you're balancing a, a number of masters that are across purposes. You you want to validate or investigate the game and find out the information you need to bring it to the next stage. Mm-hmm. But you're also running a game, right? Or or facilitating or participating in, depending on the structure of it. But yeah. generally, during a playtest, you're in charge, right? You're in charge of the game happening. So the mental space for doing both of those things overlaps and sometimes you forget stuff. Yeah, And you just have to kind of be cognizant of uh, that possibility and plan to uh, do that sometimes. A lot of the feedback I
0: get, I consider as carefully as I can the phrase, and it sounds pejorative when it's on its own, but it's not. Why are you telling me this? Another way that I like to say it out loud if I have to bring it up is, why do you bring that up? Mm -hmm. Very often playtesters will do it on their own. You don't need to ask, Mm -hmm. right? They'll say, so... I was confused when that tells me why they brought it up or what have you. But sometimes you get that note, which is what would happen if you did this, or I would love it if you did this. And that can be a great note, but I think we have a tendency, or I know I do mm-hmm. have a tendency to assume why it's being given to me. Sure, And it yeah. can be very useful to ask, to be like, that's a great note. Can I ask what brought it to mind? Mm-hmm why now? Why do you bring that up? Or when did you realize that? Mm-hmm. Like at what point in the game were you did, did, did you think about
1: that? I find a lot of the time those kinds of comments are revealing an opportunity that maybe you hadn't considered yet. Exactly. And this is part of the tell you problems, not solutions. This is kind of the, I don't know, more optimistic part of that is the thing that you're telling me that you would like to see here may not be the right thing, right? But the fact that you're seeing a space here that is valuable information because here's an opportunity that
0: I hadn't considered yet. So during one of the middle stage playtests of Dark, I was told by somebody who didn't have a great time with it, it was a session at too many that weekend and that kind of a thing. I didn't, it wasn't my best session. But the note was, I want a game in which you have cones of sight And have to know exactly which direction which guard is facing and time all that stuff out. And I'm like, okay, interesting. That is absolutely not how this game works. And it's not how this game is going to work. That's a whole other game. And it's not a bad game. It's just not this game. That is not the game I'm designing. That is not the game I'm designing. And we had a great conversation about this note. But the circumstance in this case was, to me, it was a note more on how I put the game forward. So that there was an expectation. So when are we going to get to the cones of sight? At some point there must have been a point, and this is still an assumption I'm making, but where the player was disappointed and didn't tell me till the end mm-hmm. that, that what their feeling was was when are we going to get into line of sight or what have you, and that talks about how I present the whole of the game. This is not a game about lines of sight, mm-hmm. those sorts of data. But it was also an opportunity to uh, reveal the spacing for this. For, go go make that game. Not necessarily that oh, person, sure. but somebody go make that game. I mm-hmm. mean, there are, there are board games that do it. There are video games that do it galore. But realizing not just that I wasn't occupying that space. I knew I wasn't occupying that space. Mm-hmm. But using it as a the opportunity to put up a glorious and meaningful fence line so that I could be very clear about what part of turf I was claiming and what part of turf I was not. And it gave me a great freedom. It was actually a huge boon to me because it was a point where I said, that means that I can talk about the game in lovingly kind of abstract ways about the fact that space works this way in the game. There are no cones of sight in this game. Hmm. As opposed to apologizing for it forever.
1: It gives you some of the language to define things positively instead Ex- of negatively. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah well this put. game is about this. This game includes this. Not, this I'm so, game I'm is sorry not that, about this. Right, I'm sorry that there are no cones yeah, of sight in defining things by, by absence is, uh, is rough. An example I have when I was doing my my longer term playtest season of Worldwide Wrestling, mm-hmm. one of the players pointed out that when I'd come to a session and I'd done some amount of prep, the sessions were more fun and when we sat down to a session and I just ran it off the fly, they were there's just like less cohesion, less mm-hmm. kind of, you know, direction, there's less energy. And that was really a really good key insight because it actually challenged one of my assumptions, which is like, this is a one-shot game that can also be run as a campaign Mm -hmm. of linked episodes that follow on each other in time. But because it's a one-shot game, each of those episodes is essentially a self-contained one-shot. They just happen to have the same player characters carry over. And that's not true. There's some connective tissue to make a season Mm -hmm. that needs to exist. I mean, needs, but that makes it better if it exists that doesn't exist in a one-shot Right. So that observation and that kind of, you know, that 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 critique, it was a little more of a critique and a little less of a like a confusion or a problem. It was more like I've noticed these two things. You know, you do this sometimes and you don't right. do it other times and it's more fun when you do it and It's not as fun when you don't do it, so why don't you do it all the time, right? And I'm like, because I just had this assumption about how the game worked that I never questioned. So that was really valuable, both in terms of tightening up that and adding in structure for doing this thing of uh, basically prepping on deck elements, uh, bangs from from sorcerers, where they're derived in inspiration for them for longer term play, but also for kind of calling out an idea of you're the expert on your game, but you you still have to you have to balance knowing what you want with being open to having new information come in, right? And if you go right. go too far over to one side and you just take all the information, and you're always responding to playtest feedback. You spin away from your vision, right? You start making a game that other people want, as opposed to making your game better through their involvement. And if you go too far to the other side of saying like, "This is my game," I know what I'm talking about. You miss your own blind spots. Yeah. You know, it's like you, being if, your own editor, kind of thing.
0: You go that way far enough, and you're just putting your fingers in your ears and yeah. just going. And la, then why la, are you playtesting at all? Yeah, that note that you got sounds like a great combination of like it's a symptomatic note, it's a note of a symptom and a bit of diagnosis, which is which was not unhealthy, which is, hey, I noticed that this symptom only occurs when this when this happens. Mm-hmm. I think it's related to your prep. And then you took it forward to the prescription and said, once you heard and valued the note, mm-hmm. you and the, I think it's important to note that those are two different statements, because I've heard notes and then not valued them for days And yes. when they need to be valued. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've heard and valued the note and then said, okay, this is how I can address it. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of the, all three of those steps in, in view, which I think is really great. There's a rule that I hear a lot about in, and, and I sort of agree with in playtesting, which is that when somebody gives you a note that they think is about a problem that somebody else will have, mm-hmm. the rule is that I've been told is that that is essentially a nutritionless note. There is well, there's no material in it. And I th- tend to yeah. think of it that it is not necessarily full of nutrition, but that it is often the cap to something underneath. That Why are you telling me this is one of the reasons I started doing that is because yeah. somebody somebody brought it up for a reason. Sometimes that reason is I have no other notes and I feel like I want to participate.
1: Mm-hmm. And that can happen. Yeah, but Often the somebody might feel this way is a lead into I feel this way. Or I felt another
0: way yeah. that I think stemmed from this player that I think felt that way. Oh, or yeah, you're trying to let too. somebody, you know what I mean? Like, Because I have a tendency I know when I would catch myself making that note mm-hmm. was I didn't play this way because I thought somebody would grief me if I did and I phrased the note as somebody might try to grief using this system. Sure. sure. When what I'm saying was I didn't make my play right. because I was afraid of that happening. Right. Which is still not the right way to say it the way that I said it. But the point is that we've had the prep as designers. As playtesters, none of us have had the opportunity. We just saw the game, mm-hmm. right? We don't have the opportunity to, to draft and redraft our notes. So notes come in imperfect and that's fine.
1: So the element of information gathering, right? The element mm-hmm. of, of taking useful guidance from the playtest itself is one thing. Yeah, But then I feel like there's a whole other realm of kind of procedurally or, or functionally of accepting feedback or facilitating feedback in a way that gets you the most bang for your buck, right? Like Mm -hmm. gets you the most useful stuff out of whatever time limit you have for the conversation. This is another second order thing that I think you kind of learn as you go and then trying to kind of learn how to deal with is the arguing about the game right. in the wrap-up or whatever. like Because someone says, like, oh, either I didn't like this or what if you did it this way or this could be griefed or any right. of these things. And it's a very natural, very human response to be like, oh, let me tell you why that's not going to happen. Right. Oh, I designed the game in to, to stop that behavior. So let me go ahead and tell you all about it. And then they're like, oh, but what about all these other things? And then you end up having a confrontational conversation yep. that doesn't generate any more data for you
0: right. to proceed with. That takes 20 minutes to get two minutes of
1: information. Right. Yeah. So there's there's a bit of kind of like, I don't know if it's like humility necessarily, but there's a bit of ego swallowing that I know that I've learned to do over time yeah. where when some when something comes up and is like here's a thing that your game does or here's a thing that your game should do and I'm like on the one hand I disagree on like a vision level like that's not what this game is about but just kind of swallowing that that impulse and being like thank you for pointing that out that's not what I want to focus on right now so mm-hmm. let's move on to this thing or do you have anything else or did you see that come up in our session mm-hmm. you know like bringing it back to the actual session right. and asking those follow up questions about why did you feel that way? Where did that ob- observation come from? Did anyone else also have that feeling? Yeah. broaden it out so that it's it doesn't become like me and will arguing about whether my game should have line of sight or not? right right, right you know and is more inclusive of everyone being able to give some some of their own feedback.
0: For, for me, it certainly is an element of humility and ego in that I, I know I have a tendency to get defensive. Oh yeah, I and so really I just defensive. keep it to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's how I do it. Um, I'm very conscious about this. I, I always say, first of all, interiorly or, or externally, I say, good point, or that's a good note. Because mm-hmm. even if the note, a note can be a good note without being accurate, right? If it comes from a good place, it's a kind of a good note. Yeah. If it helps me discover something that the note had nothing to do with, but I discovered it anyway because of the note, good note.
1: That happens sometimes where people will give you feedback about a thing and it's not apt, but thinking about it unlock something else.
0: And that's the the time delay is the thing to me that I lean on in that moment is what I say is including I, I have a way that I practice that I say the word really as if to say not like really, but mm-hmm. but is this like really, which is that Not that it's a surprise to me when it's a surprise to me. I don't fake it, but it's my shorthand, because I'm bad at that, but it's my shorthand for essentially in as few spaces as possible so I don't feel like I'm talking over them or talking back at them, to say, I did not anticipate that note. Mm. I'm not maybe entirely sure where it's coming from, and I'm not going to speculate now. Yeah, And that's the big thing is that I'll say that last part out loud, is that I say, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to need time to to go through my notes in the notebook and stuff. That definitely goes, that's a great note. I'm underlining that, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So that says, I don't. Need to talk it out right now because whatever I say right now is going to kind of be irrelevant to what, how I feel about it tomorrow anyway. Mm-hmm. Because I want them to do more talking than me at the end, right? So that what I can do is say I'm going to need time to process all this stuff. So just keep them coming, or I might say that that's news to me, or I disagree right now, but I might I might agree with you tomorrow.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So
0: that we don't have to waste their time with how I take the note. Yeah,
1: yeah, we don't need to talk out my whole emotional response to this thing that I already thought about a lot and yeah. decided that I was going to do, or like. That is truly surprising. Yeah. I don't have anything more to say about it, so we don't need to right. spend a bunch of time. Oh, and I don't want to commit to my first reaction to that note. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the more games I know that somebody's played that weekend, this is important, the more I want them to give me all of their notes now. If I mm-hmm. try the thing where I say hit me up, hit me up with an email, go to the Google form at this website or whatever. The more games somebody has played in a in, in a twenty four hour period or a forty eight hour period, the less likely I think they are to fill out any of that stuff to, for you to ever hear from them again. If it's your friends mm-hmm. in one weekend and you go, you know, they, maybe they just don't want to say it in front of everybody. That's fine. Yeah. But at a convention, I get almost no response from those kind of extra additional feedback opportunities. Not mm-hmm. because people don't mean to, but because by the time they get home and they're back at work and everything, they're yeah. not going to do that. Mm-hmm. That's fine.
1: So that brings up the kind of variety of techniques that you can use to capture feedback, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we've been talking about this, the the post-game debrief, which I think is probably the most common, especially if you're present. But have you ever, either for like remote testing, like there's a group that you're not associated with that's playing to give you feedback, or... Like you said, with the follow-up form, which generally doesn't have a great hit rate. Uh, but yeah, have you used forms or written oh, yeah. kind of stuff? Because I actually almost never do a structured form. I've, I've had people like email me feedback as just pros. But I know some, you know some people set up playtest forms to ask certain questions to get specific feedback on things, stuff yeah. like that. Where do you fall on that? spectrum.
0: I have tried a lot of different arrangements for remote feedback, for time shifted feedback, for all kinds of stuff. Mm. I've done it for home games. I've done it for live play tests of non-home games, like conventions, things where I was present, but that I wanted to give people more time to respond. I've done it for companies where we do play tests with people who are all over the country or all over the planet, and we want them to come back and tell us about their game session. And the first thing I want to say is none of those have ever taken adequate advantage of just a recording of the session. Mm. Often hearing an external group just play the game and then talk about it themselves is more advantageous to me than a form or whatever it is. But when you need specific feedback, I've gotten in a lot of debates online about what kind of questions you should be asking. And that's a
1: mm-hmm. huge ongoing topic. And that's something I think that we could probably readdress. And, but And not just in our field, like any absolutely. consumer response, poll question, survey yeah. question, like yeah. there's a whole field of survey informatics basically about how do you structure a survey, Right. what do you ask when, how do you phrase questions. How like,
0: specific do you get and when.
1: Yeah. And like, how do you prime? Cause you can prime responses with the way that you phrase the question. It's all, yeah. there's a lot of psychology that goes into it
0: too. And a great deal of it is outside the realm of the expertise that we're demonstrating right. when we make these games anyway. No, so that
1: is to say that if you're interested in that kind of stuff and you want to kind of use some best practices for like, putting out a survey to get responses. Like yeah. you can look that stuff up. There's a lot it of good exists. reading to be done. Yeah, yeah. And you can, there's kind of a low hanging fruit of setting up a, a survey in a way that gets you cleaner set of responses than right. just being like, send me an email. I have fellow designers
0: who who swear by the no more than three questions rule mm-hmm. so that you don't lead them too much. I have seen designers who ask, for example, feet by feet, spell by spell, skill by skill, and then just make the changes, whatever comes in. I think it raises the bar too high for people to be responding Yeah, uh, because people don't have time to answer 38 questions or whatever. I was a playtester on a game that I will not name, but that had a playtest forum, which was a disaster in my mm. opinion because the playtesters could all see each other and could all talk about what this game should be. Mm-hmm. And they all knew better than the designer they felt what this game should be. And so they were attempting to design their own game on the forums. It was—it just became any other forum mm-hmm. except secret and with the notion that the game should reflect what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that was a question of vision. Who is the designer on this game and expectation? And there were some great ideas that came out of that, but many of them were, I think, communicated in the fashion that obviously this game should do this. Yeah. I'll tell you how to do it. Why aren't you doing, you still haven't responded to me. Why aren't I getting my thing? <laughs>
1: I feel like there's an ob- observable switch in the nature of feedback that you get if you are publicly like, this is a playtest versus like, here is a thing. Mm-hmm. Even if you're still gathering information and you're still revising it, here's a playtest of a game versus here is a game that I am probably going to change based on the next year of play. Right. People feel more ownership of a game that is in playtest where you where they feel like they are part of the development and that's not to say they feel that way and they're wrong, because they're not.
0: Not necessarily. There are ways to be wrong in that space. But that in itself, yeah, I hear you. It's not necessarily. Yeah. I
1: mean, I think you. I think anyone who's playtested sees this, where people start to feel an ownership over the material. Sure. Because they are contributing. Because they're contributing, and you've asked them to contribute, and you're valuing their opinion, right? And that's actually really, really valuable, because that's a lot of the time how you find the people who really connect with your game. A lot of the time, mm-hmm. you find them during the playtest period, and then they are champions of your game in part because there's a bit of a ownership that they have from being part of the process so there's nothing wrong with that on its face
0: there's a dark side to it to me which is that w- what we saw in this forum which is that a consensus emerges because the loudest people turn out to be more important to the contribution or know what they're doing better. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of notes you don't get then because people don't want to vie with consensus.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the downside of that is when you're not getting productive feedback because they're designing their own game now. Right. And the feedback that you're getting is about the game they're designing, not the game that you're designing. And so that's another aspect where reflecting on your vision and keeping your influences tight to you is good because you have something to to back up your own perspective, because during playtesting, a lot of stuff your your brain can just explode because it's like you're getting all this feedback, and a lot of it's negative, and some of it's good, but it's not what you and, thought was going to be good. And why right. am I doing this in the first place? And is anyone even going to like this game? And, right. And some of it is yeah. is bad
0: feedback that is very very smart, which is to say, great oh, yeah. feedback for another game. Or
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> you, yeah. So there's an element of reading between the lines. I think of a lot of yeah. especially written. Yeah, written feedback because you can't ask those follow-up questions a lot of the time or if you do enough time has passed that they can't answer them
0: their answer may shift enough that you right. now are getting two different answers
1: so it's like you're reading yeah. a reading a thing and it's like well you said that you did all this and then you said that this didn't work but that only worked if you had done it differently it, than it done it differently said, yeah. than you said which what do you do a, with that right yeah. like do you say okay maybe I need to more clearly articulate how this process works so that you don't miss it when you play exactly yeah
0: How do you decide how or what to change as a result of this kind of feedback? Or more accurately, I guess, because that's so game specific. When Mm -hmm. do you decide what and how to change?
1: One of my big personal journeys, I think, has been about trusting my instincts about this more than I have in the past. As you say, like, it, it depends on the game a lot of, you know, it depends on the stage of the game, the complexity, the scale, the scope, goal of publication, if there is publication, all that stuff. Yeah. But I feel like I'm pretty good at locking down certain aspects of a game as as time goes on, as our, as our diamonds get narrower, even if they're still present in the playtest and I'm getting feedback on them. As time goes on, I use that phrase like, that's a good point, but I don't want to talk about it right now, or that's a good point, but let's focus on something else. I end up using that more and more because sometimes these points are coming up about something that I've already settled for myself and I'm not interested in changing again because that's going to change the game and it's going to be a different game and I want to make this game not a different game. Sure. That that seems to be about how you don't change things. So that's how I don't change things. (laughs) Right, which is great. That's a super valuable note, but all the
0: stuff that you locked, how did you know it was locked?
1: Yeah. Part of his reliability, right? Like if I think it's going to work away and then it works that way, and it doesn't seem to spark any pushback or spark anything new mm-hmm. coming out of it, then I see no reason to change it. A lot of the time, the reason that a, that a game isn't finished for me is because it just doesn't feel right yet. Like, it just isn't there yet. And that's a very arty, floofy kind of sense, but... I um, I mean, you, I mean,
0: But you mean things like it's not satisfying you and or the players, it's not, yeah, it's I use not that fulfilling term. the vision, it's mm-hmm. not... Yeah. So I
1: use the term satisfying. Like, this game is functional, it works, but it's not any more satisfying or fulfilling or exciting than any other game that's out there. I think we all want our game to have a little something extra, a little something that you know is really the hook that really gets people invested in the game. And you don't always get there. Sometimes, right. sometimes you you get to the end of end. Of, you know, you play out the uh, you play out the string on your project, and you're like. It's just This is just what it is, and it's a perfectly fun, functional, it does what it says on the tin, I've done what I want to do with it, but sometimes it's like that spark isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. So if the spark isn't there yet, I keep pushing on, I keep looking for things to change, and a lot of the time I'm, I'm looking for a negative space to open among all the things that I already have, mm. and it's less about tweaking what I have and more about like expanding what's in there so I can find the thing that needs to fit. I'm making lots of motions with my hands right now. Uh, He's
0: defining a space like almost like a like a wizard holding a floating orb.
1: Yes. So I need to find the floating orb to fill fill with Eldritch energy. I'm familiar. I mean, and then the other is I thought it was going to work away and it didn't work that way. So what do I change to make it work the way that it needs to work for this game to succeed? That's the less ephemeral, more functional. Take notes during the game, turn turn the feedback into insights. Mm-hmm. Use the insights to drive changes, take it into playtest again validate the changes.
0: One of the elements of that that I think is really healthy is not conflating them and the fact that there's an implicit thing you're doing in that second option, which is that it's not doing what I wanted it to do, so I'm going to meddle with it until it does what I want it to do. Mm-hmm. What you're not doing is changing what you want it to do. It's not that revising the vision is not valid, but that it's not, also not mandatory. Mm-hmm. If the vision is still sound and the thing just isn't fulfilling the vision, I have a tendency to recall my vision and sure. say maybe it shouldn't even do that thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, I have, maybe my entire idea of a game
1: is wrong. I mean, and sometimes that's what the game Needs is for you to revise the goal.
0: Sure, but doing both simultaneously is almost always more to juggle than, than you need to juggle at once.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, kind of in in the middle space between those is the an insight gleaned from playtesting that you know that you hadn't considered, but is obviously good for the game. Right. Like my earlier example about uh, adding in more structure for for putting uh, episodes together for World Wide Wrestling. It wasn't that the structure wasn't working. It was just that the structure worked better with an addition. At the end of the day, even if you're working on a team or something like if you have a part, a design partner or you're in some kind of structure where a bunch of people are all working on, on one project, at the end of the day, it's your values and strengths as a designer um, are going to be what you use to filter the feedback that you get. So that's just to say that I think part of the game design journey is learning more about yourself and what information you get that's useful to you. Because the, the information that's useful to me isn't necessarily the same information that's useful to Will. We can sit in in the same feedback group right. about a game, and then we would go off and incorporate that feedback in totally different ways and make revisions You know, the, to similar projects to, that take them in different directions right. because we have different insights into our qualities as a designer that we value, and we have different opinions about what the game needs to succeed. So... I guess that's just a long winded way to say with all of those different techniques and ways of gating feedback and thinking about it and filtering it, trusting yourself to make the final decision about what matters and what doesn't is. And, and what's actually achievable. Yes. I, Nathan yeah.
0: can manufacture stuff I can't, for example. I mean, you you have we have woodworking skills and component componentry skills and stuff that I don't have. Sure. And that I think is a valuable metaphor for for me, for example, to take in what you're talking about, which is to say that the same note to Nathan, this would be great if it had a physical thing that looked like this. Mm-hmm. To you, that's actually that note means one thing. To me, it's like, Okay, well that's I'm never gonna be able to do that. <laughs> I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not the it's not that the note's wrong. I might have to add ten steps, including learn woodworking in order to make use of it, or I might have to go another direction and talk about what's achievable. And that's just an example of the lens of the strength that we see it through. Look, I uh, it's achievable, but it's not my vision, or it's my vision, but I don't think I can pull it off in the timeline that I have available or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And that notion that there isn't like an objective version of the game that exists or can exist, there's not some platonic objective ideal of it mm-hmm. that all of us are trying to reach and whoever gets there first gets to add their name to the front of the book. It's that my vision may be imperfect, but it might be a perfect realization of my vision, for example.
1: I think I have an example, though, also of... Changing your vision in response to yeah. feedback. I spoke a little bit on the last episode about the Imp of the Perverse and some playtesting that I did with with that. So originally the vision for that game had this monster hunting element where like the goal of the game is to find these creatures that are in the world that are these these kind of gothic horrible monsters that have where the imp has taken over the person and turn them into a monster. So if someone has a, a horrible uh, a temper, they fly off the handle at the drop of the hat, and they've abused all these people close to them. They literally turn into a werewolf eventually, and then you have to go and like kill the literal werewolf to rid the the earth of this perversity that that entered into it. But over time, the part of the game that calls to me that I find satisfying and um, compelling is the investigation of the player character perversity and how that changes over time and how they struggle against it and how they push back against it and how they try to save themselves or do they give in so the goal of the game my my vision has gone from it is a a game about hunting monsters to a game in which one hunts monsters in order to create the the backdrop for this psychological horror mm. It's not a huge change. It's still using the same elements that have been in the hopper the whole time. Right. But by redefining my vision to be like the monster hunting part is the overarching structure. Right. And what the game is about is the character journey has really clarified a lot of things and allowed me to prioritize revisions in a more productive way. Nice. Because I was spinning my wheels on it for a long time. With that notion of everything that we have data wise, everything that we
0: can change, everything that we can't change, everything that we can change for better or for worse, I think it's a good idea for us to reiterate the 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 point where we stop and we think about it and we take it all in and we and we dwell on our vision and the changes that we can make and the changes that we can't make. And before we commit to those changes, what we do is we consider and we value the
1: the data that we got and we think about what it means. You know what's best for your game. Yeah. So follow your follow your heart. That's what I say. Thank you for listening to the Design
0: Games Podcast. Sometimes our conversations wander a bit afield, and so we package them as backer-only special episodes for our Patreon backers and supporters. To hear these episodes for yourself, visit patreon.com slash ndpauletta or patreon.com
1: slash wordwill. You can find all of our older episodes, as well as everything else Design Games Podcast-related at designgamespodcast.com.
0: What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just...